1: All right, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. This is KJ Reed
0: and Taylor Thomas.
1: And we're missing our third host who would probably chime in here and say, and this is your favorite host, <laughs> Jessica Miller. So predictable. Yeah, she's gone, so we can roast her. <laughs> but if you have been listening to us for a while, you can probably guess where Jessica is. It's Mm -hmm. very exciting, but Mm -hmm. she will join us again at some point. Mm -hmm. TBD. (laughs) So today we are going to talk about love languages, but we are Mm -hmm. going to put a little spin on it and put it in the lens of attachment.
0: Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure that you're all familiar with love languages. So it's the book, The Five Love Languages, written by Dr. Gary Chapman. And it's been around for a while. I mean, I think you'll rarely talk to somebody who hasn't at least heard of the book, if not read the book. So we'll just give you a little foundation of the love languages so that we can all be on the same page about them. So there are five. And the premise of the book, it basically talks about emotional love tanks and It says like in order to feel safe and secure, your love tank has to be full of your love language. Dr. Chapman says the object of love is not getting something you want, but doing something for the well-being of the one you love. And so the five love languages are words of affirmation, which is how you talk to somebody. So if somebody feels love through words of affirmation, those are things like saying, I love you you're great. I trust you. I miss you. Love through talking. The next one is quality time, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's giving undivided attention to your loved one. So focused attention. And that would just be doing things together, spending time together, And then there's acts of service, you know, like coming home and your husband did the dishes or somebody bringing you lunch or putting away the laundry or things like that. Things that you don't like to do and the other person doesn't really like to do either, but they do it for you, thus showing love. And then there's physical touch, and some the mistake that some people make when they hear physical touch is they automatically think sexual intimacy. But Dr. Chapman describes that physical touch isn't just about sexual intimacy; it's about holding hands, um, showing love through touch, uh, giving hugs, kisses putting your arm around somebody. Let's see. The last one is receiving gifts. So this is a reminder of love, something that you can hold in your hand and have it be a symbol of the love from the person. And it's not always about extravagant gifts. Sometimes it's about thoughtful gifts or spending money. And he says it's spending money as an investment in your relationship. So it's a person that loves to have gifts and feel love through that way. So those are the five love languages from Dr. Chapman. I think it's pretty easy to assume that
1: if you have the same love language as your partner, that you're going to have the optimal relationship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But research has actually found that if there's like if you have a misalignment of love languages, it doesn't really matter. And the thing about love languages is that there there really isn't a ton of research to back it up. Mm -hmm. But I do think it just gives us a way to talk about how people can connect with their partners. And that's what's good about it. Like It is such a widespread thing that people will talk about, oh, what's your love language? I've heard it a lot. Just yeah. even with friends or casual conversations. Oh, what's your love language? And it comes up in therapy too when somebody's talking about a relationship of, oh, my love language is this, but his is this. Like it's just a
0: commonly used yeah. language now. Like you said, I feel like it's a good tool. It's a good tool in a relationship to under just for anybody to understand how they feel love Mm -hmm. or to understand how somebody else feels love so that you can help them feel loved in that way. But what I was experiencing was I'd have these couples come in and I'd ask, you know, when You're doing an assessment with somebody and you're saying, okay, like what's your current issue and have you guys tried to, you know, work on that in the past? A lot of people bring up love languages and they'll say, you know, like this is my love language and this is his love language and they talk about it for a little bit. But the trend that I was finding was that it was a good tool, but people were expecting it to solve their issues, their relationship issues. And it wasn't. And they were very disappointed when it wasn't because they're thinking, well, I feel love this way and he's giving me love in this way and he feels this way or he feels love this way. So I'm giving that to him in that way and we're still having these issues. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty frustrating for them. Mm -hmm. So they're like, what the heck? Like this is, I mean, this is the love language thing. This is supposed to help us so that we won't have conflict. And they were still experiencing conflict. Right. What I would guess is that
1: when there's that conflict You need to look a little deeper than just love languages, Mm -hmm. and that's where attachment comes in. If you guys have not listened to, I believe it was our second episode on attachment in romantic relationships, you may want to pause this and go listen to that first, just to give you a little more background. We're going to talk about love languages within the lens of attachment, because Mm -hmm. I think that's really... Where the issues are actually stemming from, all right, so quick lesson on attachment you've got your anxiously attached person, so this person is kind of constantly looking for validation in the relationship they're constantly looking for connection. And they can go to great extremes to kind of find that connection. If they're not getting attention from their partner, maybe they're creating some drama in their relationship to get mm-hmm. that attention. Mm-hmm. If we use the example that we've used before with the bucket of love, anxious people, the love is coming into the bucket, but there's a hole in their bucket. So they're constantly just trying to refill the bucket. And it's mm-hmm. just this ongoing vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. Then you have your people who are avoidantly attached and those are the people who are looking for distance in their relationships. They'll kind of engage maybe in some of that emotionally connecting to their partner and then withdrawing. Mm-hmm. So they are not uh, constant with their partner. It really can kind of turn into that push and pull and mm-hmm. their bucket of love has a lid on the top. So they're basically
0: just kind of rejecting that love Mm -hmm. coming in. Yeah. And that that comes from a foundation of not being able to trust people, right? Not being able to trust. Yeah, not being able to trust. And we talk about that in episode one. We talk about childhood Mm -hmm. attachment. But the reason why that lid is there is because they don't trust anybody to come in and stay and be safe with them. So they're saying, nope, I'm going to cut you off even before you can hurt me.
1: Exactly. And it can also stem from they just really value their independence.
0: Mm-hmm. So they
1: don't want to feel Spoken trapped. like a true past avoidant. Ah, huh? Yes. In recovery. <laughs> yes. You're our poster child. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Your attachment style can change, everyone. PSA. <laughs> and then the third type is secure. So... Mm-hmm. These are the people that just have their bucket of love, the love's coming in, it's not escaping, and they're not trying to keep it out. They're just very good about um, giving love and receiving love. Mm -hmm. So security is the goal, of course, Mm -hmm. but we're going to talk about something called the anxious avoidant trap, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of couples can run into. And this is the issue that can keep the love languages from really being effective in your relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay, so to kind of flesh out the anxious avoidant trap, I'm going to read you an example. So all of the stuff I'm pulling from is from the book Attached, which we love, and Mm -hmm. it's by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. An example they give is Naomi, 33, and Kevin, 30, have been seeing each other exclusively for six months and have a couple of disagreements they can't resolve. Naomi is upset that Kevin hasn't unfriended a couple of his ex-girlfriends from his list on Facebook. Oh, dang. Yeah, what? (laughs) She is convinced he is flirting with other women. Kevin, on the Mm -hmm. other hand, doesn't like the fact that Naomi makes a habit of calling him whenever he is out having drinks with his pals, so he screens her calls. Kevin believes that Naomi has serious abandonment issues and is overly jealous, and he frequently tells her so. Naomi tries to control her gnawing doubts and worries, but they just won't go away. Mm. So, like, there's no hard and fast relationship rule that keeping ex-girlfriends on your facebook account or remaining in touch with them is like a no-go yeah it's pretty pretty individual yeah Yeah. and there's also no right or wrong when it comes to phoning your boyfriend when he's out with friends Mm -hmm. so the book says in certain situations these behaviors might make perfect sense But Naomi and Kevin's disagreements are not really about these questions at all, and that is why they're unable to reach a resolution. Their conflict is about how close and committed they want to be to each other. Kevin, who has an avoidant attachment style, wants to keep a certain distance between himself and Naomi, and he does so using various strategies. He remains secretive about his comings and goings, and he stays in touch with old flames despite Naomi's obvious discomfort. Naomi, for her part, tries to get closer to Kevin by eliminating the barriers and distractions he has placed between them, but without his genuine desire to get closer, her efforts are futile. After all, it takes two willing individuals to create intimacy.
0: Yeah, because you think about even if Naomi got her wish of, okay, he unfriends these girls, he answers my calls while he's out with his friends, it'd be interesting because I'm willing to bet that even if those things happened... She would still be unhappy in the relationship. She would still be feeling like there was some disconnect. She'd still be feeling like something was missing, and she would constantly be needing reassurance for that relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. Because she would have just kind of pushed things to a point where, mm-hmm. you know, he's feeling controlled and yeah. he's going to still probably try to create distance in the relationship in other ways. Yeah. Like he may give in to that, but then. Maybe when he's out with his friends, he stays out three hours later, even though he takes her calls. What the issue is, is that they're not getting to the root of the problem and dealing with their attachment issues. Yeah. So like unfriending
0: girlfriends and staying out and screening her calls are all symptoms of the actual issue, which is the attachment issue.
1: Yeah. In that case, like in that situation, love languages. Even if you're having conversations about it and you're working on it, it really can just be kind of like a band aid Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: not getting to the root of it. Yeah. You can kind of determine if you and your partner have an anxious, avoidant relationship, if your relationships never really even keel, like it's just kind of that roller coaster, like you maybe you finally achieve some extreme closeness, you're feeling that high, and then the avoidant partner just perceives that as a threat and causes some disconnect and then you're back at a low. So the thing with the anxious avoidant trap is that it can just spill into so many areas of your life. And that's why it's pretty important to work on it. Because it just it doesn't stop with like small things and trivial mm-hmm. things like, oh I want to hold hands more with my partner than he wants yeah. to hold hands with me. It mm-hmm. can affect everything, like when you have children and how you deal yeah. with that, and how you deal with moving to a new place and making money. Like, it really can affect kind of the foundation of the relationship. Yeah. And so, that's why it's important to work on that.
0: Uh, yeah. Conflict. And it's not necessarily just in that romantic relationship, like we've talked about. You think about if somebody's truly avoidant. If they have a hard time really committing to somebody or getting close because they have those fears in the back of their head of, oh, like, I really want to be independent. If I get close enough to this person, I'll lose that independence forever and it'll be gone and I'll just be enmeshed with this person forever. You think about if an avoidant person who had a truly avoidant attachment had kids, right? It might be difficult for that person to attach to their children when their kids got older and wanted to be close to them and they felt like they could get close, but then they'd pull away. And I think we hear about this sometimes when we're working with people who are having issues with their childhood. I mean, I know of a lot of people that Um, sometimes with their fathers, you know, they felt like, I know my dad loved me and we'd spend some time together, but then he'd be gone a lot or, and then he'd pull away a lot. And I'm using a man, but it's not always men, you know, it's men Mm -hmm. and women, but people that if you're not working on that attachment style or that attachment, um, type, it can spill into other relationships. Oh, definitely. When you don't want it to. Yeah. And you think about, you know,
1: an anxious attachment style. I would say that that can, you know, down the road cause codependency or enmeshment or maybe that's the helicopter parent or the parent who feels like they have to be their kid's best friend instead of their parent. Like
0: it Mm -hmm. can lead into a
1: lot of things.
0: I feel like I can definitely relate to that because although I do feel like I'm securely attached now, I know that because of my, you know, life history, I had a lot of anxious tendencies and I was definitely more towards like the anxious attachment. And although I've worked on that, like we've talked about, sometimes you can be secure, but you can exhibit anxious tendencies, right? Yeah. And I still see that flare up in my marriage and relationships and stuff. But now that I have kids, I can see, I have to really be aware of this. And I know I'm going to need Logan's help as my kids get, as our children get older. But I could definitely see myself like getting too enmeshed and being such a helicopter parent and always wanting to save them from things and being like, oh, hey, hey, come to me, come to me, like <laughs> and not trusting them to go elsewhere. So I think anxious or an anxious attachment style can definitely, well, all of them can bleed into parenting. But I think for me, I relate to that one because I'm definitely more of a helicopter parent than Logan. Like, I'm like, oh, guys, guys, come on, come on. Like, (laughs) well, and come my little children. (laughs) Yeah. And
1: and kind of needing that validation from your kids that you're the one that can help them. You're the Mm -hmm. one that they want to be around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If... And but I you think, can't let that go too far, you know, yeah. because then you see parents where their kids don't really thrive and trust that they can go out and do other things because as a parent, you don't make them feel that way. Mm-hmm. You know, you in in a subtle way, bring them so close that you're like, hey, no, you can only come to me like because mom makes everything better, you know. Right. So like, no, you can make things better for yourself right. or you can trust other people. So. Oh, parenting, you know yeah. am I right?
1: <laughs> I don't actually know am I right? offspring, <laughs> but no i I like how you mentioned that you know you've worked on it and you're securely attached now, but those anxious tendencies can come up, and that that I would say is within the realm of normal, like we are yeah. all going to have that kind of stuff come right. up from time to time. It's just human nature like to want to be wanted yeah. and needed, right? Yeah. It's just a matter of. Being able to keep that in check and realizing, oh man, I've I'm kind of going back to my anxious attachment here, yeah.
0: Yeah. and I
1: need to kind of reel that in mm-hmm. and take a look at the bigger picture. So I love this quote from here. Taylor and I were talking about it earlier, and it says, "Perhaps one of the most intriguing findings in adult attachment research is that attachment styles are stable but plastic." Mm-hmm. I love that because. Mm-hmm. It means that, you know, we can be consistent in our attachment style over time, but they can also change. So maybe we've been consistently anxious for years, but we can still change. We can still move to a more secure place, which is awesome.
0: It makes you feel like if you are stable that you can, or if you are secure, that you can stay that way. But if you find yourself slipping, there's no reason why you have to be stuck in a bad place forever. Exactly, you can mold and change and become something new.
1: Exactly. Let's dive into how we can actually change our
0: attachment style. Yes. So how can Naomi and Kevin change their attachment styles so they can be healthy? Just as an aside,
1: the book Mm -hmm. will go into this much more in depth. And so if you are in a relationship where you are anxious or avoidant and your partner is the other, It would be a really good idea to get the book and read it because it, or have you and your partner read it together because it's going to go much more in depth. But mm-hmm. I'll give you some of the best ideas from it. So the number one idea would be to kind of look at the people around you, people you're close to and find the people in your life who are exhibiting secure attachment mm-hmm. and you use them as like your secure role model. So, you're observing this person, you're seeing how they interact with people. You can look back at like times in your life when you've interacted with them in a secure way and just pull data from that. And then you take that and you try to exhibit that behavior
0: mm-hmm. in your relationship. So, it's modeling. Yeah. You're modeling a behavior mm-hmm. after someone. Yep. Yeah.
1: How that would kind of look for Naomi. So, maybe she. Has a sister. She has a sister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And her name is Beatrice. Yes. Yeah. And Beatrice <laughs> is pretty secure in her dating relationships. Obviously, Beatrice has probably come across some anxious boyfriends mm-hmm. or avoidant boyfriends, and maybe some tendencies have come up, but generally she's pretty self assured and secure. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so Naomi could look at her and maybe talk to her and say, you know, how, how are you all right when, you know, your boyfriend's following old flames on Instagram or Facebook mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe Beatrice says, well, why should I care about that? I mean, I'm the one dating him now. Clearly those relationships didn't work out. So I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to stress about it. Dang,
0: Beatrice, dropping
1: in a truth bomb. She's pretty legit. <laughs> she is. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe Kevin would find a friend who his girlfriend's not calling him all the time when mm-hmm. he's out with his buddies and he's like, yo, dude, how how is it that she's just like chill and she doesn't mm-hmm. bug you all the time? And he could probably watch his friend's interactions with his girlfriend and see that, mm-hmm. you know, he's validating her, spending time with her. Even and when though, she does
0: call, he answers the phone. Yep.
1: Has a quick check in Mm -hmm. maybe if they're you know out together he he'll talk to other people but always kind of circle back and be like oh I'm here with you it's -hmm. all right though if we're talking to other people we always come back and meet with each other Mm -hmm. at the end of the night or whatever it is just that that validation here and there so maybe Mm -hmm. Kevin could look at that and say oh like if I do answer a call or a text or when we are out together i I can talk to other people, but also just, you know, validate her that I'm here with her and I'm happy about that, Yeah. then he can see how that can shift things in his own relationship. Another kind of tidbit that I think is just a really good way to think about this is how your relationship with your pet can be. A role model for security. So yes, I love that the book says this, because <laughs> if you think about, you know, despite all the flaws of a pet, maybe they're up in the middle of the night, trashing your apartment or <laughs> while you're gone at work, they're chewing up your socks or furniture. When you come home, like maybe you're a little disappointed at first, but you're always kind of greeting them warmly, right? You're always still trying to connect with them because you just love being around them. So Mm -hmm. even after like a rough day, you still stick by them no matter what. It's just kind of that pure unconditional love, right?
0: It is, yeah.
1: So not that your partner is a pet, but like (laughs) just kind of using that as an example of secure attachment of like, despite these person's, quirks and things that they do that are just so annoying and so grating, mm-hmm. I'm looking at the bigger picture and I'm greeting them warmly, I'm excited to be around them. Yeah. And I'm just happy in their presence. Something that's important to understand is that becoming secure is an ongoing growth process. And it can take months and mm-hmm. it can take a year or more. If you're finding things you can do together that's fun and you're just enjoying being together more, it can really break your insecure patterns. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's so important to understand and why we want to work towards being securely attached is because it really ultimately gives both partners what they want, right? So Mm -hmm. if you have the anxious partner, they're going to feel safe and secure and good in the relationship because they are getting the validation that they need. But it's also going to be good for the person who was avoidant because they're actually going to have more freedom than they Mm -hmm. were when they were with their partner who was anxiously attached to them. Yeah. Because that partner was constantly looking for that validation, probably doing things that were really stifling. Maybe their love language was, gift giving and so they're constantly giving their avoidant partner gifts and Mm -hmm. that avoidant partner's freaked out by it and is just like, I need to get out of this. This is so Mm -hmm. stressful. I need space. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. if you can work towards security, that anxious person's going to calm down to the Mm -hmm. point where then maybe they're just giving the avoidant partner gifts on Normal holidays where they would mm-hmm. give gifts. Very appropriate. Of constantly. Yeah. And that avoidant partners move towards security to get to a place where they're just feeling a little more free because they're mm-hmm. not dealing with all of that constant attention
0: mm-hmm. and validation seeking from their partner. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's like people that are feeling avoidant. You know, they're worried about losing independence. They're worried about the person's not going to stick around. So they just back off. And then you have the anxious person. Well, it's like in the marriage episode we talked about. It's like building the wall. You know, for example, you have that wife. There's a conflict. You have, you know, the husband that's being avoidant. And so he's building this wall brick by brick by brick by brick. And then you have the wife, for example, on the other side who's feeling anxious climbing the wall. And the higher he built it, the faster she climbs. And they just go up, 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 up. And nobody's getting anywhere. But I think it's important to remember that if you want to make these changes, like we've talked about, it's possible, but you both have to come to the table. You have to come to the table, you have to put it on the table for everyone to see, and you have to work through it together. Like, you can't hide your insecurities, you can't hide the things that are pulling you farther and farther away from each other. You have to put them in the light, which is very scary, because at the end of the day, we're all afraid of being rejected and alone. Mm-hmm. Like that's we're all afraid of being hurt. So if you put it on the table and you allow the other person to see it, then you can both respect each other for being so open and move forward together in a loving and nurturing way. Exactly. I love that. And
1: Right and that's why being educated on this stuff is so important and sharing it with your partner so that mm-hmm. you know, there's a language to it, there's research behind it, there's Um, You know, countless examples of people who were in an anxious avoidant trap and worked on things and got better. I think that's really powerful because just to bring this full circle, if you work towards a place of security, then when you are working within that language of the five love languages, you'll be able to give and have Mm -hmm. that person actually receive it. Mm -hmm. instead of possibly rejecting it or receiving it, but it's never enough for them. Yeah. So that can actually work to breed connection instead of disconnection
0: and overwhelm. Yeah, yeah. So like we've always talked about before, if you're addressing the root of an issue like an attachment style, and then you bring in something like love languages, like KJ just mentioned, you'll actually see the fruits of your labor. You'll actually see tools like love languages working. Mm -hmm. But if you're finding that they're not, there's nothing wrong with taking a deeper look. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that there's anything inherently wrong with you or your partner or the relationship. It just means there's something that you're not understanding and that you can understand that thing together.
1: Perfect. You just gave our first takeaway. You didn't even know it. Mostly because these takeaways are off the cuff. Yeah. But (laughs) I was thinking that, you know, the first takeaway would be. Just take a deeper look. Take a deeper Mm -hmm. look at maybe one behavior you Mm -hmm. have. So maybe your behavior is like gift-giving and you kind of look deeper at that. uh, Why do I do that? Yeah. Or maybe your behavior is um, like with Naomi. You're constantly calling your boyfriend when he's out with his friends. Take a deeper look at that. What is Mm -hmm. that about? Mm -hmm. It's probably not really about Kevin and it's mm-hmm.
0: probably really about something going in, on inside of you. Yeah. Yeah. And probably second takeaway was while you're doing the first takeaway, reserve judgment. Don't judge yourself for having these quirks. Every, I mean, these are just idiosyncrasies. You know, we all have these things. We all have tendencies. We all have paths and they contribute to why we act and behave the way that we do. Because I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of us reject self-discovery or self-exploration because we're afraid of what we're going to find. You know, if you lift up the rug and you see all the stuff that you didn't want to see, can you go back? You know, can you go back from not seeing that? And the point is, when you lift up the rug, you don't have to be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. All, of these, things are thi- all of these things are just little parts of yourself. And through understanding yourself more, you can create a healthier relationship. Well... That's a wrap. (laughs) So take that and do something good with it. Do something good
1: for your romantic relationships. Or your
0: future romantic relationships. Because this isn't just for people in current relationships, right?
1: Ah, yes. Ah, (laughs) past me would just be so mad that future me said that in that way i
0: know how dare you why do i need to be in a relationship to work on myself you don't need to be in a relationship i don't i mean if you want one that's oh sure yeah go for (laughs) it but
1: (laughs) perfect yeah think about this stuff digest Mm -hmm. it and see what happens if you use some of this knowledge to your advantage
0: Yeah, let us know what you think and please share this episode with anybody that you think could benefit from it. We're really trying to get the word out there and become in better contact with all of our listeners so that we can um, deliver some good episodes for you guys. So let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to hear. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Yeah, we've had some people write in and ask us questions. So please do that. If anything was confusing or you want more clarification, we are more than willing to do that. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Adios. Oh, goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search Thoughts Pod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Bryich from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us. bloopers (laughs)
1: bloopers <laughs> blue
0: okay. bears well, thank you. we could say a goodbye like a Macy Gray song <laughs> goodbye to the hearts and thoughts head ahead <laughs> <laughs> that was wow. Macy Gray singing a TLC song by the
1: way I'm about ready to give you a standing O oh, oh, Jason, <laughs>